0: Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. You asked for it. Have you, have you guys enjoyed this series? I've enjoyed it. I'm excited to be preaching to you today. Uh, Houston, why don't you join me right now in welcoming in our Friendswood campus, Life Church Friendswood. We're so glad to have you with us. Now, for those of you that that might not know this, we are one church in multiple locations. Of course, you're in the Houston campus today. We meet also in Friendswood, and pretty soon we're going to be launching our third location in League City, Texas. So excited about that. But Friendswood, we're glad that we get to join with you this morning. And of course, Pastor Tito, Pastor Samantha, thank you so much for all you do, for leading that that campus there. And uh, I told the congregation here in Houston that y'all are having that barbecue fundraiser. Guys, we're going to have enough time. If you want to go over uh, to Friendswood, grab a, a, a barbecue sandwich, pulled pork sandwich. It's going towards a good cause, like I said, all the proceeds for that go to Sleep in Heavenly Peace to help us partner with that ministry so we can continue to help uh, those children in need. So I'm so excited uh, about that. And today, we're jumping into the final week of You Asked For It. So during this series, we gave you the opportunity to submit your tough questions, your tough questions about life, about God, about the Bible, about church, about family, and it's been it's been fun to to build a sermon series based off a lot of the questions that you have asked. We've talked about purpose, we've talked about overcoming fear, we've talked about how to have a godly family. And didn't my mom, Pastor Nancy, didn't she just knock it out of the park with that Mother's Day message? How to have a godly family? So incredible. Last week we talked about what to do when we can't feel God. And today. Today, we're going to tackle a subject that is relevant to all of us. We're going to, we're going to talk about a question that no doubt, regardless of, of who you are or what your faith background is, or even if you don't have a faith background, the question we're asking today is what happens when we die? What happens when we die? If we are if we're good, if we are a good person, do, do we get to go to heaven? Do we get our angel wings and we get to float around and sit on clouds all day and just for the rest of eternity, sit back and have a good time? Is it just the really, really terrible people like the murderers and the sexual abusers and the drug dealers and the politicians and the telemarketers that go to hell? Just kidding. If you're a telemarketer or a politician, there is forgiveness for you today. Do we get another chance? Do we get to come back and try again? Do we we get to come back as another person? Do we get to come back as an animal? Do we get our own personalized version of heaven depending on what we believed? Depending on our faith, depending on the religion that we followed, do we get our own personalized heaven or do we just become one with the universe or do we just cease to exist And turn to dust. I want to look at what the Bible has to say about what happens when we die. And I I want you to be prepared. I want you to be prepared, Houston, Friendswood, everyone watching online. I want you to be ready because I have a lot of scripture. Today is going to be like a Bible study. So if you're a note taker, take some notes. If you're not a note taker, take some notes. Here's why I have a lot of scripture, because we believe that this book is without fault. We believe that the Bible is God's word. We believe that this is the book that the God who created the universe intended for you and I to have just like it is. We believe that God's word never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he said something in this book, It's not going to change. So the reason I have a lot of scripture prepared for you today, as we talk about a subject that's heavy like this, that's about eternity, what happens when we die, I think it's important for you to hear from the Bible. I think it's important for you to hear what Jesus had to say about it, what the apostles had to say about it. What we believe is that this book is the ultimate authority for you and I in this life. So let's dive in today. What does the Bible say? Why is it such an important subject for us to study? Maybe you, you didn't know this is what we were going to be talking about. and You're like, oh, God, really? I came on Sunday and we're about to hear about eternity and heaven and hell and the afterlife and all this stuff. What a great Sunday that I picked to come to church for the first time. I know this is, a heavy, this is a heavy subject, but here's why it's important. This is why it's important for us to talk about it, for us to study it. Because what we believe about eternity will determine how we live today. What we believe about eternity is going to dictate how we live our lives today. So what does the Bible say what happens when we die? I'd like to start today by going straight to the words of Jesus found in Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, we see Jesus telling a story, he's telling a parable about two men. So let's jump in, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 28. Like I said, I got a lot of scripture. I don't want you to tune me out, I want you to hear the words of Jesus here. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, if you are someone listening to the words of Jesus when he spoke this, you would know that this person Jesus is talking about is extravagantly rich. Because in that day, to have clothes that were purple meant you were royalty, and also the dye that was used to make clothes purple was extremely expensive. And then it says he was dressed in fine linen. Did you know that a piece of linen was so expensive that if you took that money, you could feed a person for an entire year. So Jesus is telling us, hey, there was this one guy who had everything he could ever possibly need in this life. He was comfortable. He wasn't hungry. He wasn't poor. He had everything he needed. And at this rich man's gate, in verse 20, Jesus says, there was a beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus was covered with sores. And he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And that's pretty disgusting. And if you're letting your dog lick your face, please stop. I will pray for you after service. We get an image of of two men. Jesus tells us about two men. One, you would look at and think he's got everything he could ever possibly need. And the other, you would take pity on. The time came, Jesus said in verse 22, when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now, the Bible references Abraham's side. Some translations say Abraham's bosom. What Jesus is telling us here is that when the beggar died, he was taken to a place to be with God's family. He was taken to be with God's people. The rich man also died and was buried. The rich man did not go to Abraham's side. The rich man did not join God's family. Instead, it says in verse 23, that he was in Hades. Now I want you to remember this word Hades. This is important for you to understand when you're reading the New Testament, especially, when you see in Scripture in the New Testament the word Hades, it's not talking about hell. That's a different place than hell. We're going to talk about this in a minute. But this rich man is in Hades where he was in torment. And he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus, the poor man that used to sit at his gate. And he sees the poor man with Abraham and with God's family. And he called out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. And now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you... Between me and Lazarus and God's family and where you are at, rich man, there is a great chasm that has been set in place. There is a great separation. There is a chasm between us now that cannot be crossed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot. Nor anyone cross over from there to us. You see, what Jesus is saying is once these two men died, eternity was set for them. There was not a second chance for them. He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Let's look at the poor man. He was sent to Abraham's side. and Like I said, he's with God's family. Now, if you study Scripture in its entirety, you are going to realize that what Jesus teaches and what the Bible teaches is that when believers die, we don't go to heaven. We go to a place called paradise. We go to a place where we are with Christ, not in a physical body, but where our souls and our spirits are united with Christ, and with God's family awaiting the day for Christ to return and establish heaven on earth. And then we see the rich man, he's sent to this place called Hades, which is different than hell. It's a place of suffering and torment. And I want you to remember this place, Hades, because it's going to come back in Scripture. Here's some lessons we can learn from the rich man. And remember, this is Jesus Christ telling this story. The things we can notice from this story about the rich man is that when he was in this place of torment, he was fully conscious and aware. He had memories of his life. He also had regret. His eternity was irreversibly fixed. Meaning that once he died, his eternity was set. That chasm that can't be crossed. There was never any hope that he was going to leave where he was and get where the poor man was. The third thing we can can notice from this story is that the rich man realized that his suffering was just. Because we see him, he's complaining about the pain, but he's not complaining about injustice. Because he realized that the reason he was suffering was just. The fourth thing that we can learn from the rich man is this. He begged and pleaded for someone to tell his brothers who were still living so that they would not join him in this torment. So let's talk about these two places. We have the poor man that's with God's family in paradise. We have the rich man that's in Hades in suffering. This is not their final destination, though. You can think of this when we read Scripture. These two places, you can think of them as like the waiting room of their final destination. They're just in the waiting room right now. So how long does someone have to be in the waiting room before they reach their final destination? Well, the Bible tells us, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So these two places, one of torment, one of paradise, where we're not in physical bodies, but our souls and spirits are experiencing what eternity has in store for us, it says the Lord is holding these places together until this day of judgment. And that's what we're all waiting on. You and I, everyone that has passed on before us, all of humanity, all of creation, is waiting for the day of judgment. The day that the Bible tells us we will all stand before God when we die what the Bible tells us is that eternity is set there are no second chances the Bible tells us it's appointed unto each man to die I have I have some sad news for you if you didn't know this you and I one day will die every man must encounter death And once death happens, our eternity is set. And we enter a waiting room, if you will, until this day of judgment. So what does the Bible say about judgment day? Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15 say this. And this is John. John, the disciple of Jesus. John, the best friend of Jesus, or so he would tell you. He was the one that Jesus loved the most. John was an apostle. John faced persecution. He faced torment. They actually tried to kill him several times and for some reason that he wouldn't die. So what did they do? They exiled him on an island called Patmos where he was secluded and alone. And while he was there and while he was in prayer, he was caught up what scripture says, caught up in the spirit. And God revealed to him the things that would happen at the end. And this is his writing about that. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. You know, when the Bible says heavens and the earth of the earth and the heavens, it's not talking about our reality in heaven. It's talking about the entire universe. So what John is saying is he sees this one sitting on the throne that is so powerful that is so massive, that holds all power, that literally the entire universe was engulfed, encompassed. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, the death and Hades the place of torment, the waiting room, the death, Hades, gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, this imagery that God is... Showing to John. He's showing John these things that are going to be easy for John. Maybe they were easy for John and a little more difficult for us, but things that John would understand. When it talks about God having books, we know that that doesn't mean he has physical books. It means in his knowledge, he's keeping a record. Because he is all-knowing, he's keeping a record of all of us and our lives. And these books that are opened up, the imagery of that is there's coming a day where God is going to be able to judge all of mankind according to every moment of their life. And this passage, we see a glimpse of judgment. We see this glimpse of God judging all of humanity. And it says that those whose name was not written in the book of life Other parts of the Bible call it the Lamb's Book of Life. And the connection here is that Jesus was the Lamb of God. All of those that were not in Christ were cast into the fire, were cast into hell. But those whose names were written in the Book of Life, those who were in Christ, are accepted into heaven to live with God for eternity. So let's talk about heaven what is heaven? What does the Bible say about heaven? What what does it look like? What is it going to be like? What are we going to be doing? Where is it? Why does God send people to heaven? Heaven exists for God to fully dwell with his creation. That's, that's the point of heaven. That's what heaven is all about. Heaven exists for God to fully dwell among his creation. Heaven can be summed up like this, the presence of God. And I know a lot of times we have ideas and we have, we, we, we have the, the, the stories and we have the examples that are given in culture and even some Christian culture of heaven being this faraway place where one day we're going to be rescued from this terrible world and taken to a much better place where we're going to be able to relax and take it easy and have fun and be with God. But the Bible actually gives us many glimpses of what heaven is, and it's not a faraway place. And it's not a place where we're floating around as spirits and angel wings. It's a very real place that Jesus intends to establish on earth. Let's read what the Bible says about heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verses one through seven. I told you I had a lot of scripture. I told you to be ready for a Bible study. Revelation 21, when I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John. Remember, this is the man that walked with Jesus, that heard Jesus talk, that heard Jesus teach, that stayed by Jesus' side as he was crucified and killed and saw Jesus resurrected again. And now God is giving him this vision and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now remember what I said when the Bible talks about heavens and earth? He's literally talking about there's going to be a new creation. He's not talking about heaven and earth in the sense they are separate. He's talking about the entirety of the universe is going to be recreated. And there was no longer any sea is what John said. I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Do you know when Jesus comes back, it says that he is establishing his kingdom as New Jerusalem, a city on earth where he will reign as king over the entire earth. The governments of the world will be on his shoulders. He will be king of the world, literally. That's what heaven looks like. Amen. So John sees the city coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Remember, this is heaven we're talking about. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is Jesus talking. He said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the image of heaven that the Bible teaches. It's a new creation. It's a place where we live with physical bodies, bodies that have been glorified just as Christ's body was glorified when he rose from the dead. We're going to have physical bodies. We're going to have a purpose to fulfill on this earth. I've got news for you, and I hate to burst your bubble. Heaven is not just one big, long party. There will be partying, but there's also going to be work. When God created mankind, his intent was for us to reflect his image in the earth, do the work that he has prepared for us, to subdue the earth and rule over it, and to give him glory. And that has not changed for God. That's what he wants when he establishes his kingdom on earth, when the full glory of God fills the earth, and there is no evil, and there is no sin, and there is no death, and there is no sickness, and Jesus is king, you and I get to live in the paradise, fulfilling the purpose that God has for us, that divine purpose that he has for us, for all of eternity. Heaven is not a faraway place. At the beginning of this year, in January, we preached a series. We taught a series called For Heaven's Sake. How many of you remember that series? Friends, how many of you remember the For Heaven's Sake series? That whole series, what was it, what was it about? Helping us to understand that the kingdom of heaven is already here. This is, what, this is one of those things in scripture where Jesus came and he says, I've brought the kingdom with me, but it's not here fully. You and I get to live in the kingdom of God today. Why? Because we get to walk in the presence of God. We get to walk into uncertainty and have hope. We get to experience things that would cause fear and anxiety, and we can have peace from God. We can do the work that God wants us to do in this earth. We can already live in the kingdom until the day Jesus returns and establishes the entire earth as his kingdom. So Christians don't hunker down if you're if you're a believer and you've grown up in church and you're just hunkering down waiting for the day to jesus for jesus to whisk you away for jesus to save you and so you hunker down and you do all the religious things you think you're supposed to do and you never go out into the world and shine your light and spread the truth and serve others and love others and reach the lost you've missed the point we're not hunkering down waiting for our king to take us away. We're fighting the battle now waiting for our king to come and conquer. This passage continues though as we see this as we see this image of heaven, the Bible gives us this beautiful image where Jesus is coming back and he is recreating This world, he's recreating this universe and he's creating it in a way where it is void of sin, sickness, and evil. This passage goes on though. Revelation chapter 21, verse eight. He says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So this begs the question. This begs the question, if God is good and God is loving and God is compassionate, why would he send people to hell? You know you've asked that question. If God is good, why would he let people suffer for eternity? I'm going to give you two reasons that when you read this Bible, when you read God's word, He tells you why. Here's the two reasons we find in Scripture Hell exists for God to righteously punish Satan and evil. Hell exists for God to righteously punish Satan and evil. Let's look in the Bible at that first part. Where does it say that God is going to punish Satan in hell? Revelation chapter 20 verse 10. The devil who deceived them, deceived people, he was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. He was thrown into hell. Who was already there waiting for him? The Antichrist and the Antichrist false prophet had also been thrown in. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hell exists for our holy and righteous God, to punish Satan that, that is the embodiment of all evil. The second thing we find in Scripture is that hell exists for God to righteously punish evil. Let's look at a place where it says that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who gave us most of our New Testament and penned so beautifully descriptions about the grace and the love of God. And how willing God is to forgive. And how far God would go to reach us. He says to the church in Thessalonica, He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. If heaven is a place that is saturated and full of the presence of God and the glory of God, then hell, hell is a place that is void of his glory. And the only thing about God that you experience in hell is his wrath, is his punishment towards evil. What does Jesus say? Let's look at the words of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about anything else? I know a lot of times we hear, Jesus talked about money more. No, he used money in stories as examples, but most of his teaching we see in the New Testament was about hell. And this is what we need to know. When Jesus talked about hell, he was talking to spiritual people about hell. Jesus did not use hell as a fear tactic. And that's not my intention this morning is to use it as some kind of fear tactic. It's the goodness of God that calls people to repentance. It's the goodness and the grace and the love of God that causes people to follow after him. And Jesus would talk to people about how these spiritual people, his followers, as encouragement to go out and find the lost so that they wouldn't have to suffer in hell. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23, this is a sobering statement. And I want every believer, if you're someone who is a believer and who has been going to church and you you feel like you're saved, I want you to hear this message from Jesus right here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who called out my name. Not everyone who said I was their Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not just those that call out to me. It's those who do the will of God. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, get away from me. I never knew you, you evildoer. Jesus, didn't I do all the church stuff? Jesus, didn't I come to church enough? Jesus, didn't I post scriptures on my Instagram bio enough? Jesus, didn't I do all the things I was supposed to do? And he's going to look at people and he's going to say, I never really knew you. When Jesus returns, he's coming for what the Bible calls his bride. The Bible paints this picture where Jesus is a groom and he's returning for his bride. That's the church, capital C Church. And among the church, what we just saw from the words of Jesus himself, is that among the church there will be posers and imposters and pretenders who will say things like, Jesus, I did all this stuff. Jesus, what, what do you mean, get away from you? I, I thought I did... Really what they're saying is, I thought I did the bare minimum, Jesus. I thought I did what I was supposed to do to get the get out of hell free card. Jesus, I said the prayer that one time. Jesus, I, 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 I professed faith that one time. I know my life didn't really look like it. I mean, I know I kept sleeping with my girlfriend and I just thought you were going to like, you know, you understood that I just have desires and, and that you were just going to turn a blind eye to that, Lord. Jesus, I know I never stopped looking at pornography, but at least I wasn't going out sleeping around. Jesus, I, I know I was cheating on my wife, and I know I was sliding into other women's DMs, and I know I was going out with my buddies every night, getting drunk and getting high, and Jesus, I know I was holding on to a lot of anger and bitterness and resentment towards people, and Jesus... I know there was nothing in my life that showed I actually had faith, but Jesus, I did the bare minimum. Can't you give me a pass, Lord? And Jesus says, I never knew you. Matthew 13, 41 and 42, Jesus says it again. The Son of Man. Jesus is talking about himself. The Son of Man is a title from Old Testament scripture about the Messiah. So when Jesus says the Son of Man, he's really saying, me, I. He says, I will send out my angels. They will weed out of my kingdom everything that causes sin and what else? All who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, when I was a kid, I would get so scared of going to hell where I knew there were worms that didn't die and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 41 through 43. This is Jesus again. And listen, these are some of the hardest words you will read in Scripture. And they come from our King. Then I will say to those on my left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels." The place where God is going to righteously punish Satan and evil. Depart from me. That's where you're going. Because I was hungry. You gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in. I needed clothes. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. And you did not look after me. Who is accepted? Those who have faith in Jesus that drives them to do the will of God. Who is rejected? Those who claim to believe in Jesus but choose to continue living in their sin. That is the harsh reality of what Jesus teaches in Scripture. What we read is that those he accepts are those that have faith in him, a faith that drives them to do the will of God like he said. And those that he rejects are the ones that claim belief, but choose sin over Jesus. This is not a fun message to preach. This is not an easy message to preach. I would be lousy. I'm a young man. I've been doing this for five years. I would be a lousy excuse of someone that that hopes to be your spiritual leader, your pastor. I would be a sorry excuse for your pastor if I did not tell you the reality of what Jesus is calling us to. Why is there a hell? So that a holy and righteous God can punish Satan and evil. God is just meaning he cannot tolerate injustice sin is injustice sin is evil and because God is just he must punish evil and the sad news is is that we are all evil we are all evil we are all sinful we are all guilty And regardless of what culture says, we cannot escape our guilt by being a good person. Something that you did 20 years ago that you feel like you've made up for because you've been a really good person, you're still guilty. I'm still guilty. The Bible says all have missed the mark. You know, that's what sin is. Sin separates us from God. We miss the mark of what God intended for us. We have all done things we regret. And maybe you're sitting in here, you're sitting in Friendswood, you're watching online, and you're thinking that I'm crazy and that, oh, listen, there's no way a good and loving God. I'm a good person. I know I've got my problems. I know I've made my mistakes. But surely... Sure, the, listen, the devil would love for you to believe that the words of Jesus are not as true as what Jesus says. The devil would love for you to believe that hell's really not that bad. It's not for, it's not for good people, at least. We have all, all right, let's just raise our hands, okay? Can you just be, let's just be honest. Type it in the chat. friends. Would I want you to raise your hands. How many of you at some point in your life I don't care if it was 50 years ago or last week or this morning, how many of you have ever given into anger and in a moment of anger said something you wish you, da- you hadn't done, something you wish you didn't? Guilty. How many of you at some point in your life have told a lie? Guilty. Now this one, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have given into lust? At some point... How many of us have overindulged in something that was harmful for our bodies? Guess what? We're guilty. How many of us have had pride? How many of us have had ego? How many of us, when that self-preservation kicks in, we're willing to do things to people that's better for us even though it might harm others? We are guilty. Every single one of us. And we can't Make it right. We can't make it right. But the good news is this. And they sang about it. And I think it's beautiful that they sang that song. It wasn't planned. But I've asked them to sing it again at the end of service. They sang a whole song about how God is love. I know I have just been preaching about God's holiness and His righteousness. And how God will punish evil. But God is also. It's not but. And God is also. And God is also love. God is just. And he is righteous. And he will judge according to his own holiness. God is also love. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us. Here's how much God loves you. Here's how much God loves me. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. What's, what's Peter writing about? People are wondering, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Why, why are we still going through all of this suffering? Think about this. Peter is writing to a, a church and a group of believers that are suffering They're suffering persecution that you and I could never imagine. They're being fed to lions. They're being set on fire. They're being tortured. They're losing their jobs. They're being excommunicated from civilization. And people are wondering, why isn't the Lord coming back yet? Peter says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. Why? Because he does not want anyone to be destroyed. You see, God knows there's coming a day where he will deal out his righteous punishment on evil. And he's being patient for our sake because he wants as many people as possible to come to repentance. To turn to him. That's how much God loves us. He is delaying his judgment. God is, delay- he is delaying his judgment so that as many people as possible will turn to him, will turn to Jesus for salvation. God doesn't want anyone to perish but for all to be saved and come to this place of repentance. This is how much God loves us. John chapter 3 Verse 16 and 17, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loved the world so much that he looked at the world and he knew it was full of evil and sin and wickedness and corruption. And he knew there was nothing that we could do about it. So he decided to do something about it. He knew that in his holiness, there was going to be his judgment and his punishment, but he loved us so much that he decided to give us a lifeline. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Romans chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... I'm the worst sinner in this place. I don't care what you say or what you think about yourself. I am the worst sinner in this place. I have done things that are so terrible. I have thought thoughts that are so wretched. I have said things that are so evil. And while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was in my lowest point, God reached for me. While I was lost in my sin and eaten up with wickedness and corruption, Jesus pursued me. That does not make sense. That's how much God loves us. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says this, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. John ten ten. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know what? God has the best life that you could ever live. The best life you could ever live is the life that God has for you. Because the life that God has for you now is a life that's going to unite you with him in eternity. Jesus paid the price for our sins. What happened when Jesus paid that price, when he hung on that cross? Jesus satisfied God's justice. God's righteous justice towards evil and sin, he took it all out on Jesus Christ. Displaying God's amazing grace, displaying his unquenchable love, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What we believe about eternity will determine how we live today. So what will you do? What will you do today? I want to read one more passage. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Listen, we've talked, we've seen what Jesus said. We've seen where Jesus said himself, not everyone who calls him Lord will be accepted. Not everyone who appeared to have it all together is going to be accepted. Only those that do the will of the Father. And then we have this, we wrestle with this. Well, does that mean we're saved by what we do? No. We're saved because of grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, here we go again. If that's the bare minimum, see, I think too many times we get focused, people want to know what do I have to do to stay out of hell? Tell me, tell me what, I, what it is. Just tell me. I don't want to hear anything else. Just tell me like the three basic things I need to do to stay out of hell because I'm going to do those things and then I'm just going to live with this peace knowing oh, I've been saved and forgiven so now I can just continue to live in my sin. I can continue to be sexually immoral. I can continue to be prideful and angry. I can continue to gossip. I can continue to live in sin but I know I've done the minimum let's look at what the difference is. What's the difference between this kind of like belief and faith? Matthew 7, Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, the teaching of Jesus, the gospel, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. I don't want to stand before Jesus only to realize I've built my house on sand. What am I trying to say here? That there is a huge difference in believing in Jesus and building your entire life upon your belief in Jesus. Y'all following what I'm saying? Is that faith, we're saved by grace through faith, and it's a faith like James said in the book of James, the apostle James, the brother of Jesus, says if you have faith without works, that means you don't really have faith. That faith in Jesus is something that drives us to do the will of God. Faith is belief in action. Faith drives us to follow Jesus, to leave sin, to do the will of God. So, honestly ask yourself, what in my life proves that I have faith in Jesus? What can you look at? What can I look at? What can we look at in our life and point to and say, there it is, there's the fruit of my faith. These are the things that I know my faith is alive and real because look at these things. And it's not those things that save you. It's those things that let you know you have true faith that is changing you so that you don't have to stand before Jesus one day and for him to tell you, I never knew you. Please stand with me. And I'd like to invite our prayer team. If our prayer team would take its place, friends would. Prayer team, will you please take your place? I'm just going to, I'm going to close today by saying this. The point of all of this, in light of what we, what we have read today, what the Bible says about eternity, about what happens when we die, what Jesus himself tells us about eternity, We need to understand this, that Jesus cannot just be something in your life. Jesus can't be just something in your life. He's either everything or he's nothing. Remember, there's a story, there's a story of this man. The Bible just calls him the rich young ruler. We don't know his name. He comes to Jesus and he says, I I wanna follow you. I like what you're saying. I wanna be one of your guys. I wanna follow after you and do the things that all of these other people are doing. And Jesus says, great, sell all that you have and follow me. And it says he walked away weeping because he had so much stuff and he just, he couldn't sell it, wouldn't sell it, didn't wanna sell it. He wanted Jesus to be something in his life. He didn't want Jesus to be everything in his life. How many of us are walking around, Jesus is just something in our life. How many of us are just walking around feeling like we have done the bare minimum, Thanks, God, for meeting me in my mess and in my sin. I'll take your forgiveness. I don't want the transformation, though. I'll take your forgiveness. I will definitely take that. I'm not going to live the life you've called me to live, though. I I really appreciate your love and your grace and your mercy. I'm going to continue doing what I know you say is wrong. I'm not here to condemn anyone. I'm not here to, to condemn you and make you feel like You have to live out of fear of going to hell. That's that's not what I'm trying to do. I just am calling you. I'm calling you to, in light of what we hear and read and study in Scripture about how holy and righteous God is, and also how loving He is. Is what do we need to do? The first thing is just repent. We need to repent. We need to repent. Everybody in this place, you have something you need to repent of. I have something. I'm going to be the first one in this altar today. I have something I need to repent of. And you know what repent means? It just means to leave it. It means to leave it. It means to go the other way. It means you don't need it in your life. It's destroying you. It's killing you. It's dragging you down. What do you need to turn away from? Is it your own pride? Pride? Is it your own way of thinking? You think you've got it all figured out and you don't care what God has to say? Are you justifying sin? Are you living in sexual immorality and justifying it by saying, you know what, God, it's okay because I'm probably going to marry her one day. Are you continuing to use your liberty in Christ to go out and get drunk and get high and do things to your body that God does not intend for you to do to your body? Are you holding on to anger and resentment? Are you, are you angry at somebody that's sitting on the other side of this church today? Are you angry at somebody that's going to a different campus than you? Are you withholding forgiveness from someone? We all have things that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to bring to light so that we can confess it and repent That's what Jesus is calling us to follow him. Jesus would go into the house of sinners, and he would not leave them sinners. Did you know that? I know that's one thing we love to talk about. Well, Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes, and Jesus was finding like the most terrible people that were in society, and he was going to them. He was being friends with them, hanging out with them, and he was also calling them to repentance. Jesus never went into a sinner's life and let them stay the way they were. And guess what? He's not going to come into your life and allow you to stay the way you are. Do you need to be baptized today? Friends would. Baptism Sunday is next month. Right after this service, if you need to be baptized here at Houston, we have everything that you need. Did you know that one of the last commandments Jesus gave was for people to be baptized? Did you know that baptism is not only a a supernatural thing that happens, Peter says it's for remission of sin, but it's also a public confession of your faith. That's one thing that you can look back at and say, this is how I know my faith is alive. I chose to be baptized in front of all these strangers, in front of my church family, and confess my faith in Jesus Christ. Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Where are you drawing the line? God, uh, the repentance, the baptism is cool. But I've seen people speaking in tongues and the whole spirit thing, that just seems weird to me. So no, Jesus, this is the line. I'm not crossing it. A lot of people want to wonder or ask, well, what do I have to do to be saved? Do I have to be baptized to be saved? Do I have to, do I have to receive the Holy Ghost to be saved? The answer is yes, yes, and yes, because this is what The Bible and Jesus commands us to do is to constantly follow after him. And if we ever get to something in scripture, and if we ever get to something in our journey where we decide, no, I'm not going there. What we're telling Jesus is I'm not willing to follow you that far. If you've never had that experience and that encounter of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, today can be your day. Don't you know you need the Holy Spirit to live in this life? You need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. You need the Holy Spirit to be a parent. You need the Holy Spirit to be a friend. You need the Holy Spirit to overcome evil and temptation. Is your next step serving? Finally serving. You've been on the pews. You've been in the seats for years and months. And you've just sat back and decided, I don't have to be on the team. I don't have to get involved with ministry. I don't really have to be part of the church, the body of Christ that exists to serve others. Maybe your next step is serving. You can go to right now, life.cc slash growth track. Go to our website, life.cc. You can, you can join growth track. You can start taking that next step and say, I'm ready to serve. I want to be part of this. Because Jesus is calling you to be part of his church. What is your next step? You can take it today. You can take your next step today. What happens when we die? Our eternity is set. And there is a place where God is going to righteously punish Satan and evil. And we've been given a way out. And that way out is faith in Jesus Christ and an unrelenting pursuit of Him. A life devoted to Him, a life that is built on Him, not halfway. Don't build the house of your life with, with one beam Jesus and the other beam your own pride. One beam the Word of God, the other beam the ideologies and philosophies of this world. That house will fall. We are called to abandon everything and follow after Jesus. And there will be a day where we stand before him and he says, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I wanna be standing there with all of you. I wanna be standing there with all of you at Friendswood. I wanna be standing there with my wife and my children. And I want to say, Jesus, this is what I've brought for you. I've brought my wife and my children and my friends and he, and look look at all the people from Life Church, Jesus. We followed after you. We wanted to be your hands and feet in the world. We wanted to build your kingdom. We wanted to do the will of God. Let's pray together, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy because without that we would be lost and doomed for eternity. But because you love us so much, because you couldn't bear the thought of an eternity separated from us, you took it upon yourself to make a way. You took it upon yourself to be that lifeline, to be that search and rescue mission. You have given us salvation through Jesus Christ. That when we have faith in him, that faith that drives us to do your will, that faith that drives us to leave the way we are and pursue Jesus, it's then that we live the life you've called us to. It's then that we step into your kingdom. It's then that we can stand before you and have you welcome us into your kingdom. And God today, Holy Spirit, search our hearts and minds. Help us see what is it that grieves your heart, Lord? What is it that we haven't surrendered yet? What is it that we're holding on to? What is it that would keep us from you, Lord? Show it to us, God. Give us a repentant heart. Lead us to salvation, God. If there's someone in this place, this is the first time, the first day where you want to put faith in Jesus, where you want to profess your faith to Jesus, where you're ready to repent from sin and start this journey, guess what? It starts with that prayer. It starts with that prayer of, God, I need you. I I need your forgiveness. I've been trying to do it my own way and I realize that's wrong. I need you in my life, Lord. That's the first step of a journey that's supposed to be for your entire life. That's the first step of a journey that's supposed to lead to baptism and being filled with the Spirit and ongoing sanctification where you become more and more like Jesus. And that doesn't happen while we're standing still. It happens while we're following after Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray you would have your way in this place today, in Houston campus, in Friendswood, in the homes of everyone watching online. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would feel you like we've never felt your presence before. We need your power, Lord. We need the power just like on the day of Pentecost when you poured your spirit out and it gave people the courage and the boldness and the anointing to step out into a lost world and to shine your light. That's the power we need, Lord. The power to overcome sin. You did not come just to forgive us of sin. You came to save us from the power of sin. The power of sin that would hold us down. The power of sin that would destroy our lives. The power of sin that would destroy our relationships. That would lead us to places of depression and anxiety and fear. You came that we would have power to overcome our sin. And Lord, we need you today. We need that power today, Lord. And it's only because of your love and your goodness and your mercy that you've even made that possible for us. And our response should be a reckless abandon to follow you. What do I need to leave behind? Show me, Lord. Show me what I need to leave behind because I want to follow after you. I want to do your will, God. Help that be our heart. Help that be our cry. Help that be our prayer today. God, show me what I need to do. just want to take a moment. This is a heavy subject. This is how wonderful God is. And it's easy for me to get up here and be fiery and to pray that kind of prayer where I'm saying, God, show me what I need to do. But you know what? You know what the heart of God is? The heart of God just says, turn to me and I will come to you. Jesus tells us in Luke 15, the heart of the father is that when he sees a child far off, as soon as he sees that child turning towards him, that the father runs to the child, kisses him, puts sandals on his feet, puts a ring on his finger, puts a robe around him, throws a party. That's how much he loves us. And there's nothing you have to do to earn that love. He freely gives it. And as a response to that love, as a response to that love, he calls us to walk in faith and follow after him because he has a life that is so much better for us than the life we create for ourselves. Our band is going to lead us in worship one more time. Friendswood, I'm I'm going to go ahead and hand it back over to Pastor Tito Friendswood. I love you so much. I hope you have an incredible time of prayer together. Houston, We're going to have another time of worship. And listen, I know this message. I pray and hope that this message did not lead you to condemnation and fear, but instead led you to encouragement and hope in Jesus Christ.